Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is sponsored by Joseph Safra, dedicated in appreciation of the Kitab, and it's in an honor of its dedicated teacher, Mr. Azur Zolta, who is working hard to keep our rich traditions and heritage alive. For those of you who were looking to perfect your reading, you'd like to understand how to read properly with the Nikudot, with the Ta'amim, you want to know how to read uh, the Megillah, you want to know how to read whatever. Azur Zolta is here in the Beta Knesset, and he is an expert, old school teacher. But as Mr. Azur told me himself, he only wants students who are very serious. So if you're serious about getting, uh, perfecting your reading, or uh, reading from the Torah or whatever, you can of course join us in the Kitab here uh, under Mr. Azur Zolta's tutelage. Breakfast in the class is also dedicated in loving memory, Lili Nishmat, Edmund J. Safra, Alava Shalom, Rafael Edmond, Ezra, Ben Esther, Yaakov, Alava Shalom, and thanks for all he did to bring the entire Am Yisrael together. His philanthropy and vision have changed the face of New York City and the world. We are forever grateful. Please join us today at 1045 um, until 12 when we will be having multiple speakers to get you in the zone for Hanukkah, followed by a brunch for participants at 12 o'clock to make Berachot. Breakfast in the class is dedicated for the Rufu Hashem of Polisa Bat Rachel, sponsored by Carol and Maurice Silvera, Hazaku Baruch, Shemir Rufu Hashem Bekarov Mamash. And the week of Cobra was sponsored by Avi Haiwai Daniel and uh, David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. My friends, I want to talk about one word with you today. And that word is the first word of our parasha. It is a, uh, a, uh, it is a fact that every single year, parashat miketz falls out during Chanukah. And the rabbis all exp express and explain the various associations between parashat miketz and the holiday of Chanukah that begins tonight, Bezrat Hashem, Haba Alenu Shalom. We should all be zocheh to fulfill all the mitzvot properly. Now, there's many different ways uh, that they explain this concept of, uh, of the, the association between the parashah and Hanukkah. But I want to look at one word together with you. The pasuk tells us, Vayihi miketz, and it was at the end of two years. At the end of two years of, of Yosef languishing in prison. At the end of two years that Paro had forgot uh, Yosef, Vayishkachehu, the Pasuk just ended the last word in last week's parasha. Yosef is languishing in prison and no one remembers. And it was at the end of two years. It's an interesting and curious word. It was at the end. Why doesn't it just say, Ahar Right, we have a, 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 a Kiriyah expert over here with us. Read the Torah so beautifully on Shabbat. Right? right that's how we start. Why doesn't it say, and it was after two years? One of the beautiful ideas that I think is emanating from this Pasuk is that specifically, at the end, you know, one of the beautiful things about the miracle of Hanukkah is that for all intents and purposes, if you'd have asked anyone at the time, they'd have written off the entirety of Judaism. 
You have a nation which is the dominant world power. They're in charge at the time of the Jewish people. They're imposing their will. No one can stand up to them militarily in the world. They come in and they decide this is how things are going to be. And there's not going to be learning of study of Torah. And there's not going to be Rosh Chodesh. And there's not going to be, you know, all these different things. Brit Milah. You're not going to have these different things. You're not going to have Shabbat. They write these decrees. They force people to write Al-Qaeda Ashur on the, uh, on the horn of the ox that they would plow with. I have no halik, I have no portion in the God in the God of Israel. I mean, it sounds like the end of Judaism. But what is fascinating is that the, the response to that from the Hashmonaim was so strong. And the miracles that took place were so miraculous and so outstanding that the revival of Judaism that occurred from Chanukah took them to places that they had not been before the miracle. One more time. The, the, the elements of Hanukkah, not only was the miracle about the fact that the Jewish people had managed to light a candle and it stayed lit for eight days, but rather that they managed to light a candle and that they stayed lit for eight days. In fact, the Lashon, the language of the Gemara is very telling. The Gemara says, My Hanukkah, what is this thing, Hanukkah? And the Gemara in Shabbat goes into explaining the origin source of what happened in, in that uh, auspicious time. It tells us about the war. It tells us about the fact that, like, that, that they found the, the Pach Shemen, the element of uh, the, the, the jug of oil. It tells about the fact that they lit it and then it lit for eight days. And then the Gemara says something very interesting. It says, the Shana Heret, in the next year, they instituted Chanukah. Now that's very instructive. Why did they wait a year before they implemented the mitzvah of lighting the candles of Chanukah? You know, you see the miracle. The rabbi should have stood up at the end of eight days on day nine and said, in order to remember this great miracle next year, we're going to light candles for eight years. But that's not what the, the Gemara says. The Gemara says, Lishana Acheret. The next year, okay, they instituted the laws, the miracle of Hanukkah. They instituted the, the custom of lighting the candles. And one of the interpretations of the Gemara is, Lishana Acheret means that they waited a year. And you know why they waited? Because the Chachamim waited to see. Was this going to be a good thing? Or was it going to be a bad thing? Did this miracle have positive ramifications or negative ones? Were the Jewish people after a year going to be more connected or less connected? You know, a lot of people think that when God shines the sun, his light upon them in their life, they're going to get closer to God. But let me ask you, are people who are poor closer to God or are people who are rich closer to God? Poor, poor more, more often than not. From the depths I call out to you, O God. There's no atheist in a foxhole, goes the expression. It doesn't say there's no atheist on a private beach in Maui. Their atheists proliferate. You know, we've talked about this many times. You know? Success has many fathers, but failure is an orphan. Anything that goes well, everyone in the community wants to take credit for. 
Anything that goes terribly, what did you just say, Ronan? Right? Anything that goes terribly, no dads. No one's claiming this child. This is not mine, it's your fault. It's your fault, it's your fault. When a person fails, when things go wrong, right, what do they, who do we blame? We start having very serious conversations with Hashem. Because <laughs> clearly, you know, this failure and all this disaster here could only come from God. That's not my, this is not my fault. But when it comes to success, when a person does really well, they don't think to come and to say thank you every day for God. It's harder to say thank you every day for what you have than to beg God for what you don't have. So the irony is, in the aftermath of a miracle, is a person going to get more connected to God or less so? The rabbis waited to see what this miracle would produce. Lishana acheret, the next year, they implemented a holiday called Chanukah. You know why? Because one year on, the people were more committed. One year on, the people had learned the lessons of the miracle of Chanukah. One year on, they had increased their mitzvot once they got rid of the Greeks. And it's a, it's a curious thing that for thousands of years, in the most oppressive regimes, where Jews had to hide in order to be Jewish, where Jews had to sneak down the hallways of their, uh, of their apartment buildings so the KGB wouldn't find them going down to pray in some cellar. In Spain, where if you found out, people found out you salted your meat to be kosher, or you lit candles Friday night, they could burn you at the stake for being a Murano. Where I stood in Theresienstadt, in, uh, in, out to the outskirts of Prague, I stood in Theresienstadt with many groups in a hidden synagogue in one of the camps that the Nazis had set up. It was the back room of a bakery that they turned into a synagogue. They painted the walls with Jewish phrases. And there, they snuck down there and they prayed together every Friday night. They risked their life. They would whisper the prayers of Lechadodi. <laughs> Who's holding a gun to your head Friday night here in New York City, making you not come to shul? Who's going to report you to the KGB or the Muhabarat for missing that you came to Minyan? Nobody. The freedoms of America have done more to destroy our Judaism than the totalitarian regimes that we have survived all around the world. Think about that. That's nuts. So when the Greeks are making sure that no one does anything, what happens? They go to the caves and they sit there with dreidels. I think it's part of the Jewish spirit. It's like no one's going to tell me what to do. I can't do mitzvot. I'm going to do mitzvot even if you kill me. Oh, I could do mitzvot? No problem. Well, should we have a Christmas tree in our house next to our Hanukkah? No, let's call it a Hanukkah bush. Do you understand the insanity? So they had to wait. They had to wait and see, was this miracle of lighting the candles, was the miracle of destroying the Greek armies and obtaining Jewish freedom, was that something to celebrate? Or in the most ironic of ways, was it something to mourn? They could already make a decision. Let's see how it went. Isn't that wild? 
Vayihi miketz shinataim yamim. Says the Pasuk, it was at the end of two years. It was when Yosef was feeling at his lowest. When Yosef was sure that his plan for redemption had failed. When Yosef was sure that he was never, ever, ever getting out of prison. All of a sudden, Paro suddenly starts having the most insane, ridiculous dreams. <laughs> and not only is the miracle that Paro starts to dream at the end of the two years, the miracle is that when people come to interpret Paro's dreams, he's absolutely certain that they're all wrong. And there's many opinions that go into this, like, you know, why did Paro think that all of his advisors were wrong? The Pasuk says, Ve'en poter otam leparo. And no one could explain them to Paro. That's what, the, that's what the Pasuk says. Well, what do you mean, en poter? You tell me a dream, I'll make up an interpretation. How would you know I'm wrong? Rabbi, I dreamed of a tower and the tower fell down and out of the bottom was coming bugs. Oh, that means that you're going to live a very strong life and who knows what it means, right? Can you tell me I'm wrong if I make up an interpretation? So all these people are coming to Paro. I'm sure they made it sound very good. All his royal advisors and his astrologers and his astronomers. Paro is sure that they're all wrong. The end, poter, otang, Paro. How did Paro know? One opinion says that he dreamed also the interpretation, but he forgot it, so he was trying to remember it. Another interpretation says that Paro understood, you know, he didn't, none of the answers resonated with him. A third answer, actually, magnificent answer, revolves around Paro understanding that if he had the dream as Paro, none of these people who were giving interpretations about him as a person we're tapping into the fact that he was also, besides for a single individual, he was also a figurehead for the whole people. No one interpreted his dreams as relating to his position as Pharaoh. The end poter oto le Pharaoh. They they interpreted it to Ramses. You understand? So he said, it can't be that this is about me. I'm dreaming in the capacity that I have as a king. My friends, I'd like to share. A final option. En poter oto le paro means, and Hashem made paro think that none of these interpretations were correct. The same miracle that causes him to start to dream on the day that Yosef is supposed to get out of prison is the same miracle that causes paro to understand that that is not the interpretation of his dream. And do you know why all this happens? Why? Miketz. Because it's the end. It's Yosef's time. He's not supposed to be in prison anymore. So the Pasuk begins by telling us, you know what's going to follow all of this? Paro dreaming. All that needs to happen. It just will happen because Yosef was supposed to be kept in there for another two years. Now those two years are over. It's his time. Nothing's going to get in the way of Yosef's ascension to greatness. I think a lot about the Hashmonaim when I think about that. The Hashmonaim were regular Kohanim. They were, you know, they were this, the guy, there's a great Kohen that we just had over the last couple of days. I think he's from Mexico. I love him. Because when he does Kohanim, it's very dramatic. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. 
It's fantastic. Someone will go up and they'll go, Yivarechecha. And he'll say the most beautiful Yivarechecha in response. It sounds like he's saying Yivarechecha as he's jumping off a cliff. Have you heard this? Yivarechecha. <laughs> jumping into a pond. It's magnificent. It's said with such excitement. I love it. Right? Hashem, Hashem! Amazing! These were regular Kohanim. These were regular guys. They were regular, you know. But then, one family, the family of Yehuda, Elazar, Shimon, right? These children, the children of Matityahu, the grandchildren of Yochanan Kohen Gadol, they stand up and they change history forever. But to me, I see something here that I think is so interesting and instructive for all of us. And that is, when the time comes for you and for me, when something is supposed to happen in my or your life, there's nothing in the world that can stop it. And conversely, if the time for that thing has not yet come, there's nothing in the world that can bring it. So the Pasuk says, Plainly, and it was after two years. This is when it needs to happen. This is when it happens. The Hashmonaim are supposed to do this. The Jewish people are supposed to turn a corner. Whatever needs to happen, whoever needs to fall at the hands of whomever, that will happen. And I think many of us have experienced this, have lived this experience in our lives, where we're trying and knocking and banging at a door and nothing is changing, and nothing is happening. And all of a sudden, it's raining. Has, has anyone had this before? No, it happens in Shidduchim, people will tell me. Rabbi, you don't know, I can't get a date. I'm trying, I'm looking, da da da, da. All of a sudden, one, three people call me, they this, they that. You know, when it just starts, it's, I don't know if it's raining men and raining women, but, right, it's raining something. Right, it's, it's weird. So I always like to tell people that one of the messages of Hanukkah is to keep their eyes open in the dark. To, to, to realize that when something is going wrong, there's a time frame for when it stops going wrong. And in that time, when it is then the world will turn itself on its head for you. But you need to keep the faith and hang in there long enough to be worthy of receiving the salvation that was supposed to be coming at, uh, uh, what do they call it, oh, 100 hours or, you know, at that exact time. Because when that time comes, be catching a time, it's there. <clears throat> I want to end maybe with a beracha in advance of Hanukkah. You know, our rabbis tell us, that one of the beautiful things about the candles of Hanukkah is that they are given to us at the time of the greatest darkness. It's right when the calendar changes, it's right when the nights get the longest of the entire year, right, is Tkuvat uh, Tevet, is at the end of Kislev, the beginning of Tevet. Those are the longest nights of the year. We have the least amount of daylight in this time of year, okay? And HaKadosh Baruch Hu brings and uh, orchestrates that as we shift into this period of darkness, 
that there's a simultaneous expression of even the tiniest amount of light to be able to survive that darkness. That's my beracha. When a person experiences a tikufa, a time of darkness, Hashem should bless each and every one of us that along with that darkness is enough little light to be able to wait, hopefully, for miket shenatayim yamim. Because every darkness ends, and every challenge passes, and every, difficult move, every difficulty moves on. And sometimes, by the way, challenges don't pass because the situation stops. Challenges pass because you become adapted to the situation, and you've learned coping mechanisms, and you've uh, been able. But at the end of the day, that challenge is no longer present in your life, one way or another, either because you got someone to bring light or because you became light yourself. But it is my beracha that we should experience enough light in the darkness that we should be able to hold on just a little bit longer, secure in the knowledge that the end of that darkness is coming and we'll be zocher to experience our own personal redemption, our own personal geulah. Amen.